Welcome to the Free to Choose Media Podcast. Today's podcast is titled Teaching Science Fiction. Recorded in 1999, Patrice Caldwell, Director of Institutional Renewal at Eastern New Mexico University, and celebrated science fiction author Jack Williamson discuss teaching science fiction. Listen now, and don't forget to subscribe to get updates each week for the Free to Choose Media Podcast. Jack, you taught one of the first science fiction courses that was offered in the United States, and you taught it right here at Eastern in 1968. Is that right? Mark Hillegas wrote the first one I heard about at Colgate in 62. It was written up in the National Observer. I clipped it out and presented it to the curriculum committee here, and my course was improved. I taught it in beginning in 64 and taught it most of the time till I retired. Students seemed to enjoy it, and I enjoyed it, and it was a lot of fun. And I still enjoy teaching it with you when we have an opportunity. It is a fun class to teach, but science fiction was being read on college campuses long before 62. Why do you think it took so long for it to be offered? Well, what, what happened was that fans grew up and Got, got degrees and found teaching jobs in, in colleges and still retained their interest in science fiction and w- w- wanted to teach it is basically what happened, I think. Mm-hmm. So all those adolescent readers grew up and went to college yeah. and got they, PhDs? They grew, grew up in some way in spite of all we do, <laughs> for better or for worse. Yeah. What, uh, what kind of students took your course the first time you offered it in the 60s? Well, many of them came from the the sciences or from all sorts of other fields. There were a minority of them English majors, I think. Mm-hmm. Of course, there were a few who took them for three hours upper level English, but many of them had read a great deal of science fiction and were seriously interested in it. Mm-hmm. I think we got more serious fans then than we're likely to get now. I think you're right. I remember the first time we taught it together, which was over 10 years ago, and we had a larger percentage of science majors than English majors, and they they read very differently, and they liked very different fiction than the English majors did. Um, what did do you remember what you taught in that first class? Did you teach anything of yours? I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't remember, really. Mm-hmm. Generally, I try, tried to cover the field, the, the definition, the origins, the histories, the, the t- technique, and the social applications, and so, whatever. Mm-hmm. When I was in college, um, there certainly was no course on science fiction, and I don't think I would have been encouraged to take it from the English department, even if there were. But that's really changed, and I think science fiction's led the way for a lot of other kinds of courses that now are offered. Do you, have you seen a change in the curriculum that science fiction sort of created? Well, well I, I know it was not generally welcome in the beginning. In the late 60s, uh, the Science Fiction Research Association was founded. In the first meeting, I passed out a questionnaire about science fiction courses and 
kept doing this for several years, finally had descriptions of about 500 college-level courses that had been offered in the United States and Canada, uh, published a summary of these in three different editions that went out, I think I distributed about 1,700 copies and just as ammunition to be used to convince curriculum committees and so forth to help, help popularize academic science fiction. And at that time we had a sort of missionary zeal in it, I think. Well, in a way, science fiction was more important to us then than it seems to be today as, as something new. And in, in teaching, we felt that the world was f full of readers of science fiction who could be led into astronomy or physics or anthropology or zoology or religion or philosophy or whatever through the interest in science fiction. There were numerous anthologies published of selected stories to lead into some particular class or another. And I don't think we have that sort of springboard use of science fiction anymore. In fact, uh, the popular culture has seen a huge growth in the, the number of Oh, I don't know, just different genres that have come back. Uh, mysteries are now hugely, horror is very big with our students, I know, at, at Eastern New Mexico University. And I think overall, science fiction has helped maybe not clear the road for some of those genres, but encourage them to be seriously considered but in an academic setting. Yeah. I know that um, you talk about Stephen King as some as a writer you admire, and I think that would have shocked your colleagues, you know, not too many years ago. Uh, well, he is a wonderful craftsman and a very able writer. Whenever you taught, first taught the science fiction course, you always taught short stories and full-length yes. novels, didn't you? Yeah. Mm. Did you teach them differently? Did students respond to the longer form differently? I don't know. It all depends on the individual story. There's mm -hmm. Some novels are very successful and others not. I, mm -hmm. I tried Jules Verne once. It's from the Earth to the Moon. and It's a, a historic milestone. It's an interesting story. It's full of lively characters and so forth, but the st students didn't get turned on to it. And mm -hmm. No, and yet we've taught H.G. Wells about three, well, at least three different novels on three different occasions. Always works well. Well, Wells is a better writer than Verne. And, well, and yeah. wrote more genuine science fiction. Mm -hmm. He had been to school at Huxley. He knew evolution when evolution was still new and controversial, and that gave him a feeling of with the process of change and a way of looking at the future that Vern didn't have. And I feel that Wells was the main chief creator of modern science fiction, really. Mm -hmm. And I've also seen uh, critics refer to Vern as an inventor 
whereas Wells was uh, more truly um, a philosophical writer and was more interested in the issues and the impacts of science. Well, Varner certainly interested in new inventions like submarines and aircraft and and the ship to the moon. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He wrote a great deal of tra travel material like the journey to the center of the earth and the voyages of the his submarine with Captain Nemo mm -hmm. tra travels under the ocean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of course, Wells is someone very close to your heart, but what about your own work? Now, you, I know that we've taught some of your novels in class. What, what is that like to have students read something you've written, and then uh, how? what kind of feedback well, do they I give you? Well, I to have readers, and, and if students, students appreciate it and, and enjoy it, why, that's wonderful. And if I'm trying to teach writing, why, I can have a certain authority from the fact that I've done it, mm -hmm. and some people are impressed by, by that. And, and I've often encouraged stu students to write fiction of their own. One year, we, the class published a, a collect, collection of their stories. Mm -hmm. Classes differ, some are interested in that sort of thing, some are not. Mm -hmm. And I always tried to, to fit into the class, to, mm -hmm. to be a part of the general mindset. Mm -hmm. how, uh, how do students write? These are students who have not had any real formal training. They've taken some literature classes. So did you find that they were able to uh, understand the science fiction genre and to recreate it and bring new ideas to it? Or was that pretty hard to do? For well, the, the new, really new ideas are sort of scarce. Most of the student writing was pretty derivative. But some of it was very well done. I have I've had a few students who might, might have gone on to write professionally if they had been motivated to to go, go through the necessary toil and strain. But considering the limited number of markets and so forth, why well, it's hard to honestly encourage people to make a career of writing. I think the best advice you can give a student is not to do it, and the student who has the determination to succeed will go ahead in spite of you, and the others will turn to, to something else. Some of your students have become professional writers, of course, and some of them are still in this area or still in contact with you. Yeah. but. It's, even if they don't become professional writers, sometimes it's an enriching experience for them, I, I guess. Would well, you agree? Um, I think anything that enriches our experience can enrich our lives. I'm all in favor of, of reading literature, learning anything you can. Mm -hmm. If you're going to write, well, anything you know can be good material for a story. Yeah. I've heard you give students very good advice about writing, and I often would think, well, when you were 20 years old, you were publishing, and they're 20 years old, and in some ways they have 
a very different sense of the world than you did growing they up. They live you know. in a certainly different world than I did. They live in a very different world, which obviously doesn't include plot, since that always seems to be something you, you talk a lot about, the need for plot. Well, I'm a great believer in plot and, and stru structure. Uh, lives are often patterned in terms of problem and solution, and a story should be interesting. And one basic way to make it interesting is to create uncertainty about what's going to happen next, to have two forces in conflict and have the, involve the sympathies of the reader on one side and, and the antipathies of the reader on the other and let, delay the solution, the resolution till you come to the end of the story. These sound like the Williamson rules for plot. Did, did you did you come up with these as as you were writing? Did you kind of create them as you well, matured in the profession? I've tried desperately for many years to learn how to write. There's a man named Thomas Uzell stationed at Norman, Oklahoma, who had a, was teaching writers and published a book called Narrative Technique that I read till I wore it out. And there's another writer I learned more from whose name I can seldom think of and I used to know the number in the duodecimal catalog of books on the short story so so I was a, a student of I subscribed to writers magazines and, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I, I've learned some, something at attending the Milford Writers Workshops that were sponsored by the likes of Damon Knight and Jim Blish. And I I'm judging stories these days from for the writers of the future, and I try to write a critique on every story that I considered, which is only half a dozen or so at a time. And I'm just interested in the mechanism of a story and why it works, if it works, and why it doesn't, if it doesn't. And I'm sure they appreciated that because that that kind of input is exactly a, what... A few of them have indicated an appreciation. I imagine, yeah. Well, and too, so many people believe that you either like something or you hate it. It's really just a matter of personal preference, and it's much harder to be able to say in a coherent way why something fails to succeed and I think that's something that your classes always try to do. It's not enough to say I don't like this short story or this piece of writing didn't work. You have to say why. I th that's true in probably everything but especially in, in issues of creativity. Well that leads into psychology. I changed my major to psychology when on the third year and college and I got interested in, in, well, psychoanalysis, spent a couple of years under analysis myself and I'm interested in the, the way people react, wh wh why they're interested and why they do what they do. Mm -hmm. Admire of Freud, though nowadays people tend to, to 
look for errors in Freud, but I think his basic revelation that most of our activity has a so that degree of abnormal or unconscious motivation is mm-hmm. a basic part of understanding why human beings do what they do. Mm. And human beings are pretty interesting. Human beings do a lot of dumb things, though. I remember you're saying at one point that World War II was a real change in the way science fiction was conceived and written, and certainly it was a big change in your writing life. I mean, you came back from the war or the Pacific, and and the next thing the world saw was humanoids, certainly a, a pretty dark picture of the future. Well, I did my dissertation on it. Wells is a critical progress so that the idea that technology is double-edged is certainly not new, but in before the war in the 30s, why the American public believed in progress. We had the century of progress in Chicago and the exposition in New York City, which was devoted to, let's say, gilded visions of the future. And we expect, we believed in technology then. It could solve problems. New gadgets were wonderful and our heroes were people like Thomas Edison and, and Stan Metz and other people who were inventing what wonderful new technologies who enlarged our lives and mm. and the war illustrated that demonstrated that technology has a dark side and I came home to to pollution we our big problem of the world is overpopulation which is largely traceable to better technology and hygiene and health and so forth. So our technology is is leading us along different channels that science fiction can explore and mm-hmm. that the, the future doesn't look as bright to, to most people as it did to Hugo Gernsback and I think to John W. Camel in his earlier days. Camel liked to write about human beings surviving and prevailing in the universe for for ages to come, and that is harder to mm-hmm. for people to be enthusiastic about anymore. And Gibson has a far darker view of of the impact of technology as a sort of corrupting and destructive influence. I remember, too, when students read uh, Darker Than You Think and Humanoids in class, different classes and different students, they were both struck with the modernity of those themes. And some of them even found it hard to believe that those were written in the 40s, (laughs) which I thought was an interesting insight. Uh, do you think students today are, are pessimistic? Do you think that they also have seen the, the dark side of technology perhaps more vividly than they should? Or Well, I think that we have too much as- uh, pessimism about all sorts of aspect- aspects of technology. There's a sort of hysterical fear of nuclear energy, for example, 
I feel that that could be harnessed as a as a safe and non-polluting source of energy, but the dread of it is so widespread and so energetically propagandized that it's very difficult to do anything with it. You, you constantly surprise me with a very scientific response to issues where it would be easy to have the the humanist side of, well, you know, nuclear power is, is an engine of destruction. You, you constantly complicate progress by seeing both of those. Do you think that's a problem today, that people don't see the positive along with the negative of technology, and that they want to separate these two things and condemn uh, technology too quickly? Well, I think too many people, instead of thinking that for themselves are influenced by, by the media, that pe people, that if a politician or a statesman has something important to say, why well, all that the world gets is an eight-second soundbite out of it, and that, that's part of the, the message of my no novel in progress, mm. that the information technology is is disrupting the old world and what it will do to the new world is still uncertain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's an interesting time to live in. It, it certainly is. Say, yeah. mm -hmm. For, fortunate to be alive as yeah. long as I can live. I, I feel fortunate to be living in the same time you are. Uh, do you think there's a direction that science fiction is heading that you can see maybe to adjust that pessimism or... Well, Change it in some well, way? Well, science fiction has become so multitudinous that it doesn't make much sense to <laughs> say anything about it as, as one thing or another because it is merging into the mainstream. It can be used to say, say anything you want to say, and it's impossible to predict where, where it's going, and partly it depends on the world in which it is written and partly on the, the writers that write it and par partly on the technology that's used to disseminate it. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. The print science fiction tends to become less popular, though I hope it's still influential. And we have science fiction in films and, and t TV that that appeals to sensation and emotion and has a mm. negligible intellectual comment and, yeah. and it's the world is changing true. the change is exciting true. Yeah. and I tend to be a spectator well, to, you're, to relax and watch the change you're a rather intellectual spectator I would say um, while you were teaching too you ended up teaching just about every conceivable course that was in the catalog uh, from... I, I was fortunate that Eastern is a small school and people had confidence in me, so if I got interested in something, I could accumulate a shelf of books and, and teach it. And yeah. I sort of learned it along with the students, I guess. I taught wow. linguistics and modern mystery fiction and James Joyce and the 
the, the Russian novel and, and all sorts of things, which was a, a wonderful educational opportunity for me. Well, I and for your students too. But yes, there. I mean, there isn't a class that you haven't taught I, that I know of. Uh, I think that just leads me to wonder: Is there anything you wanted to teach and, and never got to, either in the science fiction class or another course? I, I know some books we were not able to teach because they were out of print, and that was always sort of dogging us that we would want to teach a particular book, and, and it was not only out of stock, but seemingly off the planet. It's a big problem with with some particular texts. So I can't remember any particular frustrations. Mm -hmm. People were nice to me. <laughs> well, good. And they should be. We always taught, it seems to me, w w when you were teaching science fiction, you always included Fred Pohl. Was there a reason that he always figured in your courses? Since I can't remember a science fiction class you you taught that didn't include him. Well, he's a writer I know and admire, and you tend to teach what you're interested in. He was early in the game of very able satirist who, who it's made a solid reputation as that sort of sort of thing, and especially with the. the Space Merchants, one of his, I guess his f first published novel, and then with Gateway, why he enlarged the genre with a w wonderful idea and new characters, a novel, novel that's fun to read and fun to teach. And, he, and still writing... Uh, Something's coming out, it seems, very soon. So. An interesting novel going in analog at this time. Mm -hmm. okay. We may be able to write another novel in collaboration. Oh, that would be nice. He's agreed in theory, though we haven't put anything on paper yet. That's a great relationship. Uh, another writer I think you've included in almost all your classes, Roger Zelazny. Why would you, why have you included Roger in, in certainly in recent years, he's been. Well, he, he was a, a brilliant writer, an able st stylist, a p person who started out with a good background in the classics and ability to write a sort of prose poetry. And then he dec decided to write simpler more commercial work and was very, very adaptable in what he tried to do. Mm -hmm. That's true. He did seem to define the, the range of that style and students really enjoyed both of those writers greatly. Mm -hmm. That always was gratifying. But they also enjoyed the early stories that were in the science fiction research anthology back to the 30s and 40s. They, they also found those stories uh, surprising. Um, the, uh, the, you know, it always surprised me that they didn't know science fiction was being written in the 20s and 30s. They thought it, maybe it started with Star Trek, you know, the series. Um, my, most of them are too young to remember all I remember. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yes, another advantage of having <laughs> you teach the course. 
But they, again, always saw, I think, contemporary science fiction differently when they knew where, where its origins uh, came from. Of course, when I started writing science fiction, uh, it was all new, the notion of travel in space, of, of, of te television, of all sorts of things that are commonplace and acceptable today were still to come. Mm -hmm. So it was an exciting time in which to explore the future, and the future as we saw it in those early days was generally simpler and brighter than it looks today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And were people happier, do you think, because the future they saw looked a little brighter? I, I'm, I'm not sure. Happiness is hard to measure. <laughs> yeah. That's, I think the panic of the Cold War sort of subsided, but I'm not sure it's made any difference in human happiness. Mm. There's still a lot of loose nuclear bombs around, there so are. I'm not sure how much we should relax. Mm. That's one thing I think always surprises me about colleagues of ours who are not science fiction readers, and then they read some science fiction, and they always ask, uh, does all science fiction include social critique? And I find that such an interesting question. I, I guess they were expecting it to just talk about science. Well, uh, not all of it does, but mm -hmm. I remember that Edgar Rice Burroughs was, was a so, sort of a satirist and mm -hmm. so, something of a so, social critic in his novels. Mm -hmm. Yes, and... and uh, Wells was a, a, a bitter critic of many dimensions of yeah. his society, uh, so it, it seems almost to be woven into the fabric well, of Go the, back to Jonathan Swift. I, I liked to teach Gulliver's Travels in an early piece of science fiction, and certainly oh, that was did. written as, as, as social satire. Oh, yes. And you taught Swift. Well, yeah. I think that was a, a very used, unusual inclusion. I, well, no, I taught it pretty regularly in the early yeah. days. I think the most unusual inclusion I recall in the science fiction class was the Odyssey, but it worked perfectly. Well, I enjoyed the Odyssey. Yeah. And it can be regarded as, as science fiction of its time yeah. that didn't violate what people believed about the universe in which it was written. Mm. And it's, an engaging story with a great deal of human reality and conflict and revelation. It did. To say nothing of the fact that uh, students today were almost, to a person, unfamiliar with the classics. Mm -hmm. And to find these stories interesting, uh, as well as you know, th thought-provoking, I think was a good lesson for everybody, so. One of the things I deplore about modern education is turning away from the classics to all sorts of other fields. Mm -hmm. That's a uh, big issue of controversy, I think, the status of Western civilization. But I don't think anyone's objecting to the Odyssey, you know, re in yeah. recent times. But, uh, I guess the, um, well, I don't know that the Odyssey was our most unusual, but certainly one of the most uh, beloved. Fun to teach. Oh, was. very fun, yeah. That was, a, that was a really fun one. 
of course, students really enjoyed uh, Tolkien, and I think that was another uh, one maybe well, they enjoyed. Fantasy instead of science fiction, not much mm-hmm. about uh, to fantasy. Mm-hmm. And Tolkien work was just when it was finally published, reprinted widely in paperback, was just sort of the foundation stone of the modern industry of fantasy. I, I love, too, that, again, people think The Hobbit was probably created in the 15th century or something. I mean, it was in the 50s. It was, yeah. re- it was really a latecomer mm. to the genre, and yet it was such a force. And people are still living in Middle Earth, and, but they're still living in the stars, and they have you to thank for a lot of that, too. Do you look forward to teaching science fiction and creative uh, writing now for a couple more years at least? Huh? At least, as long as I can. I think that's... It, it uh, helps keep, keep me alive. Well, I think it's helping a lot more than keep you alive. I think that's keeping the genre alive and, and all the students well, lucky enough you. to be in your classes. Thank you, Jack. It's fun thank talking. Thank you, Patrice. Want more episodes like this? Don't forget to subscribe and get updates each week for the Free to Choose Media Podcast.